The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to NXT, The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast. My name is Sai, but I'm guessing you already know that if you're listening. Uh, but that's not important anyway, because everybody really wants to hear from the king, Joshua Goodwin. How are you doing, sir? Mate, I am wonderful. I thank you for the introduction. But sir, you do matter. Sai pal, you're important too. <laughs> you're important you too. Much. <laughs> oh, I'm touched. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, this week's episode of NXT, The Rise and Fall, is looking at the August the 8th episode of NXT TV, first broadcast in 2012. Again, just going along in the order the shows were released. We've got more of the Gold Rush tournament. We've got some faces here that maybe I haven't seen for a week or two on television. There's a, there's a little bit going on, so I guess we'll just uh, jump straight into it, Joshua. Yeah, I mean, not only do we have some faces that you've never seen before, you've seen some some faces that you won't see again. Okay, interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, before we get into the actual cut of the episode, we start with a recap of the Dusty Rhodes announcement and so on, and then a bit of tournament hype, I guess, with the various competitors talking up their chances in the Gold Rush tournaments to crown an NXT champion. Which was interesting for me because some of the guys talking in this vignette have already been eliminated. Yeah, I think this really should have been broadcast the week before. And yes. maybe maybe instead of having an announcement about an announcement, Dusty could have just done the announcement the, the week before, <laughs> you know? Yes, very true. Very true. Uh, that kind of sets the tone for what we're going to watch because we have the last remaining two quarterfinal matches plus a couple of other contests in the show as well but we need to find out what was going on in the world of professional wrestling 
on this date. So we'll check in with the Goodwin Report. The Goodwin Report. Yeah, cheers, Sai. Um, yeah, the wider world of wrestling. Um, Raw, uh, episode, what was it? It'd be 1002 now, bless them. Um, not much NXT representation on this one. Only the primetime players getting beat up by Primo and Epico in about five minutes. Uh, the main event of the evening sees John Cena defeat Daniel Bryan. Uh, CM Punk shows up and then Raw, Raw ends with the big show holding the WWE title overhead, leading into their triple threat match at SummerSlam. Uh, only two weeks away now. Um, over on uh, SmackDown, just want to make a quick mention. Green Day Enemy, Sai. Thoughts? Green Day. Oh, the song. Yeah, uh, the song. that completely threw me. Then I was like, what, what are you on? "Green Day Enemy." I thought it was. I thought it was a wrestler on SmackDown for a moment. I was like, "I don't remember this year at all." Um, it's okay. It's, I mean, Green Day is. Uh, I like my rock music. I like my metal, and I like a bit of punk. Green Day, are, are bands that I liked the Dookie album, but aside uh-huh. from that, it's only a couple of tracks here and there. Thought, it kind of goes a little bit too American skater punk for me. Sure, but I know loads of people who love them, and I can appreciate why they do. Uh, I'll tell you what, Sai, it's probably my favorite SmackDown theme, though. Oh, really? Okay, I think so. See, but, I'm uh, loving the fact that we hear ACDC every week now. Ah, uh, yes, I can imagine you're a, I'm a big, big DC uh, fan, mate. Yep. Being, being the heavy metal enthusiast that you are, that's it. <laughs> I'll do my one man mosh pits just like Seth Rollins, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, over on SmackDown, we had Jinder Mahal beating two local competitors uh, in much the same fashion as Ryback, which continuing on right. their sort of little story. Uh, fun fact: one of those local competitors was a very young-looking, very skinny-looking Ricky Starks. Oh, okay. Why? So that's what he was doing. Um, also, the primetime players get their win back on Primo and Epico by DQ, and the main event sees Sheamus and Alberto Del Rio end in a big no contest. But you know what, Sai? I really want to talk about that stuff today. It's not not all that interesting or eventful, but I'll tell you what is eventful. The, right. There was an event uh, on the same day as Monday Night Raw, August the 6th. It happened in London. And I'll tell you the story of uh, a young Chaz Betts. Ring any bells? No. So Chaz Betts competes twice in uh, this little uh, wrestling contest. He uh, first defeats an individual by the name of Katani Graham. Uh, he did a beautiful German suplex at one point because actually there's footage of this one. Unfortunately, he then went on to lose to a fellow by the name of Pablo Shawley, who I also haven't heard of. I, there's no footage of that one, which seems odd under the circumstances. Um, why I'm mentioning this is because this little event in London was the 84 kilo Greco-Roman wrestling for the London Olympics. And right. Chaz Betts is Chad Gable. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, Interesting. So yeah, future NXT alum, future NXT champion, Chad Gable, this very week, he was crashing out of the London Olympics. But hey, it takes a hell of a lot to get there. So fair play to him. Well, it does indeed. An incredible <laughs> amount of uh, dedication and effort. I, you know, Yeah, that, that's amazing. I love that sort of stuff. I love these little throwbacks and, and insights as to what's going on in wrestling you do. It's fantastic. Trying to get a little context for a side. Yeah, no, it's great stuff, mate. It's great stuff. So then, our first match on this week's NXT is, as I said, a quarterfinal contest in the... I don't I don't know. The more I hear it, the more cheesily I think it's named Gold Rush Tournament. It's very dusty. 
It is. I it's, think very, it's very, it's very dusty. The Gold Rush tournament. Yeah, it just, I was going to say it's very Jim Crockett promotions, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the first match there is our third quarterfinal, and we have Michael McGillicuddy versus Justin Gabriel. Have you noticed? Like quickly, I have to say McGillicuddy because I'm concerned I, if I if I try and say it slower, I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> I, had, I had noticed. I had noticed. You want to say anything? But yeah. Uh, our commentary team for this are Jim Ross, William Regal, and Byron Saxon. We start like the weird camera angle again, don't we? We do. However, I feel as if for this show, especially, it seems a lot more muted. I don't know if you noticed. It's a lot less. There's a lot less of a big swing. I feel like they've gone back to. They've tried the big swinging camera. Yeah. They've not liked it so much. So it is still very much on the crane, but it feels a lot more muted. It's much more serving the role as a hard cam as far as i can tell yeah it almost felt i, I don't know the right words it almost felt flatter in a way like we were looking across the canvas from a sort of flatter angle as opposed yeah. to the, the slightly higher more maybe diagonal i guess angle yeah yeah it was a little bit less uh fire pro i guess you could yeah. say for the game <laughs> right um this match here i think is one of the best occasions I've seen Justin Gabriel wrestle. I think this guy looked really, really good here. Well, he does look very good. I'll tell you what, Si. Isn't Justin Gabriel sexy? Oh, like, is he ever, mate? As, is as he a, ever? Just, just object. You don't want to objectify people, you know, not in 2022 especially, but God, Justin Gabriel, that's a sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> very uh, true, but, very true. But in, in terms of his work, yeah, like this match... In general, I'm a. I was a big, big fan of this match. As an individual who appreciates the little things, mm-hmm. uh, I thought this match was probably one of the best we've seen. Actually, yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. But yeah, Justin Gabriel, as you said, worked well. McGillicuddy worked well. Like, again, like if we ever do like a watch along on something, this would be one of the ones I think I'd want to see. And for like any young aspiring wrestlers out there watch this match because there are so many things that they do right. Um, I've got a list of notes on this match that are as long as your arm, Si. Um, Okay. I I couldn't possibly go into all of them, but so many different things that are just brilliant. So I'll tell you what, Si, if you give me your thoughts and I'll try and jump in or else we'll just be Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think early on, Justin Gabriel is trying to, and I'm a big fan of this, Justin Gabriel is trying to win the bloody match early on. Well, not only it's not only say is he trying to win the match as you say pins constantly pins but as a baby face that's what he needs to be trying to do as a Mm. baby face you're trying to win the match you're not necessarily trying to inflict damage it's more sort of a byproduct of what you're doing a heel is much more inclined to like want to deal damage and like take shortcuts i mean the shortcuts thing is kind of a given like i think everyone kind of knows that but one of the things that is less well not well well established less well known is the idea that a a heel is looking to inflict damage right Um, yeah makes a lot of sense which if you watch this one the things that mcgillicuddy does there's a lot more venom to it there's a lot more of a vicious intent to it gabriel using his wrestling purely trying to win yeah and i think the commentary team do well as well with this in pushing how how gabriel is the quicker of the two and he's going to use that speed to try and, uh, I suppose, uh, sneak a pinfall is probably the wrong term, but grab his opponent and get his shoulders to the mat without him twigging on and getting it, getting the job done, so to speak, I suppose, with, with the speed he's displaying. And yeah. we have plenty of arm drags, plenty of arm holds. Um, 
there's a really cool suplex that he kind of rolls through into like I think William Regal called it a double arm lever. I thought that was class. Yes, double arm lever. It was um the one thing that I would say prior to it was that there was a little bit of a snafu where Gabriel tried to land a suplex to the feet. And I feel like this was one of the only moments in the match that I could really fault. And I feel it was because they mm. rushed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so a, a moment prior to this, McGillicuddy gives him like a kick to the gut and Gabriel sells it really big. Like, you know, makes a big point of registering it, like walks away. The second time it takes place, it very much feels like it's just something to do to get to the next bit. Right, okay. And I feel like if they'd have just like just taken that moment to register, they could have set up for the, the landing, the suplex to the feet, and it probably would have been a lot cleaner, a lot smoother. Um, that being said, you know, it didn't take away from the match too much, landed on the feet, got the thing, as you said, did the uh, suplex sort of floated over in, into the, um, yeah, as you say, the double arm lever, uh, and then went back attempting for pins some more, which I guess, yes. brilliant stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we then go, well, we don't because we're watching on the network, but the, the, <laughs> the, the show goes to a break, returns from the break, and McGillicuddy is in a bit of control here at this stage when we've come back from the adverts, isn't he? Yeah, I don't personally care for that myself. When you have momentum swings in the break, I've always yeah. thought the a better way to do it is to have the cutoff, to use the wrestling term, just before the break. It's quite a good hook. Uh, like yes. it's something that I remember seeing that they used to use on SmackDown when I was a wee lad, like around 2003, it'd normally be baby faces in control, big shocking cut off. And then it's like, Oh, what's going to happen next? Sorry, folks, we've got to take a break. I feel like mm-hmm. that works much better. Myself. What about then say, I suppose it becomes a bit predictable if it's always done the same way. Of course, and you think about a Monday like Raw's three hours long. It's got God knows how many bloody adverts in it. If you're doing the same thing when you're going into a break each time each week, it becomes a little bit predictable. But what about then the other side of the coin with regards to not necessarily impact moves, but more of a, a hold based offense? You, you snap someone in a headlock and then you go to a break, come back just towards the end of the headlock spot, sort of thing. I mean, that would certainly work. It's not something that people tend to do. Again, I feel like you need some sort of exciting exclamation point as a choice. However, as you said, you don't want to be showing your hand too much. Yeah. In terms of like everything being that formulaic, there's a reason why people up until recently were getting really, really bored with Monday Night Raw. And the reason for that might have been, among other things, that you kind of didn't need to watch the show to know what was going to happen. Mm. Well, this is it. This, I don't watch the show to, to at all now, to be fair. I watched Extreme Rules because I was a guest on uh, regularly scheduled hostilities this week on the network. They invited me on to talk the pay-per-view, so I watched the pay-per-view of them. The weekly TV I don't watch. And I think you can you can quite easily not watch the weekly TV unless they give you something that is unmissable. I mean, I, quite, I keep up with WWE literally by listening to RSH on the network and Benny Mac on the network and then clips on facebook or twitter or whatever that's how i consume my wwe content now i don't think mm-hmm. i mean smack or that's five hours of television that's a big old chunk of you know you think you're working full-time you've got family as well it's a big time commitment and especially uh for us folks over here it's in the stupid o'clock so mm. it can be very difficult like if maybe if it was on at like seven in the evening and you could just sort of watch it in the background you might be okay yeah. but uh like it's it's a concerted effort for us folk in the UK, if we want to watch Raw or SmackDown. And admittedly, they the whole Triple H regime 
does seem to be making some changes. They do seem to be uh, having a little bit more unpredictability. But as it stands, yeah, I don't think I'd uh, I'd necessarily be bothering to watch it live. So as you said, watch uh, the <laughs> show's regularly scheduled hostilities and yeah. uh, Benny Mac on the <laughs> network. They do it so you don't have to. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, we also see Justin Gabriel missing a crossbody. He kind of, I think it's, it looks like a crossbody is attempting anyway, but McGillicuddy is quite close to the ropes and he moves. And Gabriel, it looked like a really bad crash into those ropes. Didn't it, though? This is the second time that we've seen Justin Gabriel look like he's damn near killed himself. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that again, that's either another specialty bump of his. And actually, to be fair, I think that had to be a specialty bump of his, or else that match is over because it looked bloody awful. Fair play to him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Justin Gabriel also attempts a move from the middle rope, which is caught by a Michael McGillicuddy dropkick in midair. I always kind of like that spot. I imagine the timing of it is, well, the timing of anything is very important, of course, but the timing of this must be crucial because if, if one of you goes too early, then it's, it's, it's not going to look right. One of you goes too late, it's going to look even worse. And then you also get the factor of how dangerous it can be because you're both in midair with one guy's feet hurtling towards the other guy's face or gut. So, <laughs> Sure. I mean, actually, I think that maybe the timing wasn't entirely ideal on this one because you would rather catch Gabriel in the chest and he yes. sort of got him a little low. I mean, it didn't seem to hurt him or anything too bad, but uh, yeah, it wasn't quite how you'd want it. And as you said, it's there's a big degree of difficulty with that one. And if it goes wrong, it, say the chance of injury there is uh, fairly high yeah yeah i can imagine um at this point i kind of noticed that the sound for the show on the network was a bit off there were times when the the, the ring noise so especially when the referees were counting the, the, the the pin attempts would be crazy loud and then all of a sudden the sound would drop right down and the commentators would seem quite quiet was that just my tv on the blink or did you get that as well no i did get that there was um a point somewhere later that i couldn't oh yeah um with mike dalton and jj coming up later there was a moment where um i think byron saxton was explaining the situation but couldn't be heard over the crowd and considering the show's pre-recorded and that it's the wwe like you expect better and really should get better yeah the production like was really flat on that we get a uh, a double cross body as well both competitors having the same idea and they crash in mid-air Sorry to interject. That move sucks. Yeah, that hurts so much. Like, well, I was about I was to ask. It, I, I, I don't see how that could not hurt. I don't see how you could work that to make it not be painful. <laughs> nah, it 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 does. It just sucks. There are just some moves that just seem to suck. That and the double clothesline. And I don't know what it is about it because it's just. I think actually thinking on it, so. When you both hit the, like with double clothesline, when you both hit them out at the same time, uh, there's going to be a microsecond between one hitting and the other. And chance, and so the the second guy, especially like the momentum from the mat, like the impact being absorbed on the mat is going to be taken by one person and not by the other person. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's 
but with the double cross body, I think it's, it's just because you're throwing your rib cage at another person and they're throwing their rib cage at yours. So yeah, it, I've never known it not knock the wind out of you. It's mm. terrible. I definitely, yeah, I've done it a few times. I do not like it. It's no fun. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look it, to be fair. Uh, Justin Gabriel hits a never cross body, but this time with a springboard from the outside, which I thought looked very good. And then we get at some well, an inside cradle which is kind of rolled through into a perfect plex by McGillicuddy that I loved. And I'm, I'm glad the match carried on, but I'm a little <laughs> gutted that he didn't win with the perfect plex. Yeah. That could have been a finish. Couldn't it? I think they were still in, they're still making allusions to the fact that McGillicuddy is uh second generation, but not really committing to the whole, like he's Mr. Perfect son. I think there's only one spot on this card for a second generation guy as the gimmick and that's richie steamboat uh, incidentally i didn't realize but regal mentioned it that justin gabriel is second generation okay yeah no he was talking about he's wrestled his dad i think he said yeah so even yeah, more sec- said even more second generation stars in nxt who'd have thunk it yeah. um to go back to that perfect plex talking about the little things did you notice how justin gabriel broke the pin no so what he did was obviously so McGillicuddy had his hands linked on the um, on the fishermen's, yes. and obviously that's the weakest point. So Justin Gabriel used like broke his hands, which meant he could kick out. Right, very clever. Yeah, again, little things like mm. it makes the most sense because if you've ever <laughs> if you've ever been cinched into a fisherman suplex or a leverage pin like that in the unlikely event, doesn't tend to happen in a in a bar fight. But in I that, have. Like, I have. You've been since into have, a fishing I, I, I have been given the perfect plex by a friend of mine over the playing field um, <laughs> when I was about fifteen, and I damn near broke my spine. <laughs> I was gonna say, hey, <laughs> were, were you guys messing about, or was it a serious fight? Because if it was a serious fight and you managed to pull off a perfect plex, fair play. No, no, we were just messing about, and he yeah, grabbed yeah. me, and I, I sort of let him do it. I, you know, and yeah, then, yeah. It, it it didn't feel nice. We were, can- over the rug- we were over the rugby p- pitch as well, so it's not like it was a nice flat surface of grass. It oh, was a bobbly no. shit. Yeah, it was not fun. <laughs> and incidentally, no, I could not kick out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my point that I was making is because you're stacked up on your like shoulders on hips or yes. hips on shoulders, you can't necessarily kick, but by grabbing McGillicuddy's hands and pulling them apart, you then can. Little things, but they make a big difference. Yeah. It's, it's again it's just coming back to sort of logic and common sense isn't it it's kind of just mm-hmm. when uh, when i see things that take me out at the moment it really takes me out now not now i'm older and so on it really affects what i'm watching so when you see stuff like that that kind of adds to i suppose the realism is a term you could use sure absolutely that I mean, really makes a big deal to me yeah and, and as you said it's realism and it's stuff that you might miss but it's stuff that Nine, like if if nine times out of ten you do miss that one time and you do notice you'll probably notice it going forward mm-hmm. and it's just those little bits of say those little bits of legitimacy that just add worlds worlds in terms of like how this is done and i feel really get missed in this day and age which again yeah. is why i think folks should go back and watch this one because it wasn't you know, it, it wasn't a match with a storyline. It wasn't a match that the crowd went crazy for because, like, these guys are only so high up the card. Um, but with what they were given, with the time they were given, um, I thought, I don't think they really could have done 
very much better. I also think it says a lot about how familiar they are with each other because I imagine they've worked a lot together at this point. Okay. Um, I think you can just kind of tell because the stuff, it all flows together. It kind of, they know each other's playbook as it were. And so they're mm. able to work around it. Um, yeah. Uh, again, I can't say enough good things about this match. It yeah. really stood out to me as just no, I, I really wonderful. It. It was wonderful. Justin Gabriel misses another springboard attempt, I guess, but this time with a moonsault, and he gets hit with this kind of running neckbreaker, almost forearm effort that looked like it had a real snap to it when McGillicuddy mm-hmm. struck it, uh, and uh, that's that's the decision there. He gets the three count with that move, and I've just got a note after that says, "Bloody good match, wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't it though? It was such a bloody good match, and yeah, I just." Again, I, I can't really even go into it in terms like if we were to watch it back, I'd be pausing it every four seconds, like stop there. And then a 20 minute explanation as to why that <laughs> thing's great. Um, so, you know, if if <laughs> if we ever wind up with a bonus episode and someone wants to, you know, find something to put them to sleep, I'm sure that we could pull that one off. Um, but yeah, with that neck breaker, that was McGillicuddy's um, established finish. It was Again, it, it looks real good. As you say, it's got a real good snap to it. It I've not seen anyone else use it before or since. Uh, I'm sure that if Curtis Axel's still out there wrestling somewhere, it's probably what he'd use to win a match if it wasn't the perfect plex. Yeah. It, well, to me, at first glance, it looked like he just clocked him with a kind of almost like a spinning, I don't know what the term, a discus potentially forearm shot. And it looked mm. vicious. It wasn't until I saw the replay that I was actually, oh, hang on a second. No, he's actually twisted that and it's gone into a net breaker as well. I was really clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is maybe one of those that needs more than one viewing, which can sometimes be to its detriment. But the advantage of television is that you have the chance to tell that story more than one time and get something over. Yes. Yes, indeed. We're then told because of his win here, McGillicuddy advances to the semifinals, where next week he will face Seth Rollins. So that's going to be something to look forward to there. Sure we is. then have CJ Parker, and he is facing someone who I've not seen for a little while on our on our watch back here, Cassius Ono. Yeah, young Cassius. A uh, little note before the um, the actual match took place, they had Cassius Ono like shadow striking, like mm. with the silhouette. Like you kind of see it with shadow boxing. Now shadow boxing looks cool. Throwing like shadow kicks and shadow forearms looks kind of weird. Si, I don't know about you. It also looked weird when I agree with you. Yes, it also looked weird when Ono got to the ring, and he kind of beat up the turnbuckle for a few seconds. Yeah, it, it works with punches, forearms. I don't think you can really. Yeah, uh, you can elbow a forearm and it look anything but like you're having some sort of fit. I'm undecided on Ono at the moment. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a hundred percent convinced yet. Oh really? I mean, I'm a big fan of Cassius Ono. Um, Something that I, one of the notes I have in this is um, that everything he does is unique. Like no one does the things that Ono does. Like every, like the way into a wrist lock is unique. The way out of a wrist lock for him is unique. Um, also, I thought that the match once again was very competitive, which I wasn't necessarily expecting from the guy no. who coming in with a fair bit of hype. That being said, as I mentioned before, he was a guy who came in for Ring of Honor who had a bit of clout and so maybe they didn't feel the need to like smash him over guys. And also he is like his strength is his wrestling. So he should probably have matches where he wrestles. Yeah. 
Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, quite early on, there's a moment where Ono goes to the outside and then uses the ring apron to pin down his opponent here, CJ Parker, as he slides towards him. I, I, I don't mind that spot. I quite like that with, with certain matches and when it's done in a certain way. Here, however, it looked like at one point uh, CJ Parker was fighting to get out of the apron when there was nothing really holding the apron down. Hmm, that's interesting because I mean, if the thing about those aprons is they are held down pretty securely. So I mean, when I watched it, I thought, yeah, I could buy that. That would hold his shins there, and mm. definitely wreck his nice, expensive boots, which I do not appreciate. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it, again, it's an interesting one because I think for individuals within the bubble, they wouldn't necessarily see that and be like, mm, that doesn't look quite right. So it's interesting mm. to have that alternative perspective on it and for it to look a little bit fake and phony. So. Uh, you know, Cassius Ono, if you are right there, don't do that again. Sice it. Oh, he listens. I know that. So. He does. <laughs> Mr. Hero, we thank you for yes. your patronage. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot of, and again, I suppose it plays into his strengths here. It's a lot of stomps, a lot of strikes, but they all look very vicious. Again, we mentioned earlier on with the McGillicuddy move, the snap to it. <laughs> That's what I got here with Cassius Ono's stomps and elbows and forearms and so on as well and it looked genuinely like he is just wearing the guy down yeah they're, they're both laying him in there si i think i think that they uh subscribe to the uh mantra of hit as hard as you want to get hit um right which is definitely something i used to subscribe to whenever i wrestled or have wrestled um yeah you just want to hit as hard as you want to get hit um you know if you want to work nice and light you can if you want to lay your stuff in and you know make a bit of noise you can you tend to do that with people you like or at least people you trust um and yeah i thought everything that as i said everything i thought that cashers did looked like I, it was stuff that i hadn't seen before so there was a counter to a sunset flip where cashers like grabbed cj parker's wrist and sort of spun him up and around which oh, yeah. i hadn't seen before and i thought was great and then you say just booted him straight in the mush which <laughs> all, all of the strikes as you say looked really on point i thought mm. yeah i mean the, the finish as well looked very strong didn't it with parker going for a, a flying knee they said on commentary it's a move that i'm assuming is is one of his top end moves i guess yeah it's not something i've seen but i was assuming with the both knee pads coming down he was going for like a double knee in the corner and yeah say young cash has just walked out and booted him in the face it looked he nearly brutal. killed him it looked it, amazing it looked bloody brilliant and i think some uh credit needs to go to the camera work there as well because of how they filmed it you didn't see like the whole picture you saw cj running in and just cassius boot just swallop him in the face and then from that we get the big elbow to the back of the head back of the neck and again it's very you look at you look at wrestling now and even back then and before then you get i mean you go back to randy savage that spectacular top rope elbow drop you go to like you know, the one-winged angel that Kenny Omega does, all spectacular, incredible moves that look amazing. The RKO, I'm a big fan of, Diamond Cutter, etc. This is literally just a guy clubbing someone in the base of the neck, base of the skull, or whatever, with his forearm. Mm -hmm. Very simplistic in comparison to those other fancier moves, for want of a better term. Sure. However, you know for a fact, if somebody nails you as hard as they can in the base of your neck, going into your head, that's going to destroy you. So well, it works. Well, 
was going to say, anyone who's watched me wrestle, so I know that, that that's a move that's in my repertoire. I will often throw the clothesline across the back of the neck. Yeah. Uh, I like it for many reasons. One, as you say, it's simple. Two, it's effective. Uh, the third thing, and this is something that really resonates with crowds, makes a bloody good noise if you do it right. right. Because okay. that, that's one thing that I still think really connects with an audience is if they can hear like the contact, they're like, ooh, well, that wasn't phony. Um, and that's something that I think Cassius does very well, actually. Like everything has noise. On the subject of noise, actually, ain't CJ Parker loud? Yes, very he's, loud. He's got a touch of the Lex Luger about him. Yeah, he's not good as Lex, though. He's still got to work at it, but every big strike's got the big hi yeah, and yeah. every big every big shot's got the big ah, yeah, just like it. Lex. I, I remember. You know, he's wrestled a couple of times on AEW TV, and obviously I know him from New Japan. Uh, you know, Juice Robinson, for those who are unaware, it doesn't stand out to me as something he necessarily does as much now. Maybe he does, and I've just missed it. I mean, maybe it wasn't something I'd noticed from him before. Um, he is like a big sort of a showboaty kind of wrestler. So it doesn't, it's not as if it doesn't fit, but it is, uh, it definitely stood out in this match to me. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. Mate. Fair enough. After this, we get a little recap of what they're still billing as a big upset in the tag division with Mike Dalton and Jason Jordan. Uh, winning their contest against two guys they described as being, they, they've been on SmackDown and so on. So to them, they're really celebrating it themselves as a big upset because we get a little interview with them as well. I liked that because it's it, they're on telly. Again, you've only got like, what, 45 minutes or so on this show? Yeah, uh, about 45. Yeah, so it's it's not a long wrestling program, but they're getting these guys on screen just for a minute or two and they're still carrying on the buzz of what happened last week. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's capitalizing on what they'd done previous, which was throw in a little surprise, maybe elevate Jordan and Dalton because these are individuals they want to look at. I mean, they're, Mike Dalton's a guy who's in the uh, opening video package, so you figure they've mm. got plans for him. Um, and yeah, like that, it was a big surprise um, that they beat smackdown talent which again looking back you're like it's hunico and camacho like they're hardly you know the biggest fish in the sea yeah. but it's still i guess considered to very much be a big upset because of the tier system nxt is still very much considered not only the third brand it's definitely like the developmental brand at this point yeah. so the upset is just that it's a big surprise and uh other than that they uh said they're going to capitalize on it and they're definitely going to be a tag team. And so I guess if those are the two messages they wanted to get across, that it was a big upset and now they're a team, I guess you can say they achieved that in maybe exactly. a minute, maybe a minute. Spot on, spot on. And speaking of tag teams, we get a tag team contest next. Uh, we have Paige and Tamina facing the team of Caitlin and Kylie Turner. But before that, those competitors actually come to the ring, we get a video promoting the Ascension. And... I've, I've, this kind of split into two for me. We had certain moments in the video where it wasn't quite what I would expect, having seen the Ascension a few times on NXT already. And then towards the end, we had a lot more shots of what I'm kind of becoming accustomed to with the Ascension. But what I loved was the fact that they were—he was, you know, the one of them was sat down on this chair, and the other one was sort of stood 
alongside but looking in a different direction but they weren't central on the screen they're very much to the one side in the corner so straight away it's slightly offset or off-putting to the viewer and it's all a little bit on the edge and uh, again it makes me think okay i like these guys i want to see more of them absolutely it gave me some distinct ultimate warrior vibes in that Mm. it was another one of those where it was kind of a bit weird you didn't really know what they were saying but it was cool and you wanted to see more um, the, the note I gave is that I would have kind of liked to have seen them throw in some actual match footage because they've had a few matches now. They're talking about the trail of destruction they're leaving. It would have been nice to see a little bit of it. Yeah, just them smashing people up and so on. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that being said, it, it absolutely served its purpose, which is just to remind you that they exist and that they're freaking cool, Si. Yeah, they are indeed. They are indeed. Big Ascension fans so far. Yeah. Uh, the ladies tag match... Divas, sorry. Sorry, Diva. Oh, yeah, you keep putting me up on this. I'm never going to stop, I don't think. This is going to be a, r- running, a running I, theme. I, <laughs> I don't blame you, sir. I think it's an antiquated and terrible term. And I think another good example is like even William Regal at point. Like they're still just objectifying and sexualizing yeah. these individuals. And yes, it was sort of the prevailing winds of the time. But even William Regal at one point like calls himself a creep. <laughs> Yeah, that's how bad it was. And I think you just have to look at these things through the prism of the time. And in order to then see the progress that we will see in way off in years to come. Yeah. But for now, they are definitely divas. And my goodness, at least one of them is most certainly what I would consider to be a diva-ish hire. Can you guess which one I'm thinking of, Si? I, I think I can. Um is it the young lady that at one stage loses her grip on her opponent? It is young Kaylee Turner. Now, I've got a lot to say about Kaylee Turner, but before I start, I want to just give you a little breakdown. Apparently, she's Alicia Fox's little sister. Okay, so this is the thing. I'm glad you're doing this. Sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt, but I'm glad you're doing this because I have never heard of her. I have no nope. idea who this is. I, I have also never heard of her, but I thought I'd uh, I'd give it a little bit of... Uh, little bit of explanation a little bit of backstory so she's elisa fox's little sister she was a tough enough competitor uh let's say this match aired on august the 8th she was gone by august the 11th (laughs) (laughs) okay she is now a certified real estate broker and to that i say good for her she was also a cheerleader i think for the tampa bay buccaneers for a time and right okay good for her um i wanna before i absolutely tear her to shreds and i'm gonna absolutely tear her to shreds I'm not mad at her. I'm not mad at Kaylee Turner. Who I'm mad at is whoever decided that it was that she was ready to be put on TV. Yes. Right. That's the it's thing. not, I don't think it's fair because she clearly was unprepared. She was green as freshly, freshly shat goose shit. Basically. Um, there were some things that she could do. There were some, definitely some things that she could not yet do. And one of the things is that she could not wrestle on TV at this point. So I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at whoever decided that she's ready for TV. If they really believe she was ready for TV, they shouldn't have been in the role that they had. Mm. Like they should not have been the shot caller. Yes. Um, if, if they were just chucking her out there to sink so that they could then get rid of her. I also think that's a real dick move. Yeah, um, of course. So yeah, um, that's my, what's the word? forward on kaylee turner shall we proceed (laughs) let's do it let's do it let's hear what you've got to say my friend okay so the very first thing the very first thing that happened with kaylee turner she got in the ring and 
the very first thing she did was slap Tamina, right? It was silent as well, which I disapprove of. Um, and then they lock up. Right. Now, it's escalation, right? If, yes. like, let's say you're in a you're in a fight, and you're both stood, let's say, you know, a foot away from each other. When one person steps in, you then can't take a backward step. If someone pushes you, then you push back, right? If yeah. someone punches you, you definitely punch them back. So this yeah. is like the equivalent of someone getting punched in the face and then the other guy shoving them back. It's yeah. not. It doesn't work. Wrestling has to escalate and it needs to make sense, right? That, yeah, I was, I was literally going to say that makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. And this doesn't make any sense. If the very first thing someone does, I mean, we saw it with Leo Kruger a few weeks ago. He slapped Richie Steamboat and then took off running. And he took off running because Richie Steamboat was mad because he just got slapped. Yeah, you know? exactly. That makes sense. <laughs> For someone to then just be like, oh, now we're going to wrestle. It Again, it's one of those things that people won't necessarily recognize or they won't know why it seems off, but it seems off. You know, I, I picked up that it, was, it wasn't it was right, Jess. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, let's see. We went to... Uh, what else did she do? Um, oh, not a lot that was good. Uh, say so she tagged out. Um, there was a bit of wrestling from Caitlin and Tamina. Uh, Caitlin really didn't want to take that drop kick. Do you remember that? Yes, I Tamina know. <laughs> Tamina sort of like took that one on her hands. It I was, was sorry to interrupt when you mentioned Tamina there. I actually oh, thought she looked pretty good in moments here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and, no thought on Tamina. I was never a big fan of Tamina when I got to see her on the main roster. Mm -hmm. We mentioned before that she had a few injury problems. Then when she has a brace on her knee, I believe maybe mm. both. I'm not sure. Um, is that, is it because the injuries have took their toll on her already in her career? I don't know, but I think I like the Tamina I'm seeing here far more than the Tamina I got used to on, on Raw and SmackDown. It's possible. I mean, she's not been in a tremendously prominent role for no. a long time. So like she's always been backup. She tends to always have been muscle mm. to be blunt. I don't think she'd be around if it weren't for her surname. No, no, I agree. I agree. You know? Um, and that's sorry to Mina, because we know you listen as well. Of course. She does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like she's fine and she does help. Um, she helps carry everyone else through this match. Um, but I think we need to move on to the start of the show, Sai. And the start of the show for this one. I mean, I don't even need to say it, do I? Miss Page. Miss Page. She stands absolute star. She stands head and shoulders over these people in terms of ability. And my Christ, is she over? Yeah. Yeah, they love her, don't they? They do. They like that, that fan base are really behind Page. But I mean She's like literally the opposite of uh, this Kaylee lady. Like there were points where she was doing things like she was doing like shoot stuff in order to make herself look good without everything falling apart and actually keeping Kaylee safe. So there was one point where she does like a double, like she gets both arms, rolls her over into a pin and then does another one. Um, things that make Paige look good. They don't make Kaylee look bad and everyone stays safe. and if you're in a position where you have to do moves just to keep everyone safe, again, it says something about the decision-making that uh, this yes. young Kaylee Turner uh, was in. I mean, there was a point where, especially after Cassius Ono and CJ Parker just knocked the piss out of each other. Like, her strikes hurt my feelings, Si. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing they hurt. <laughs> yeah. 
It just made me. They made I mean, me you mentioned mad. there about you mentioned there about the uh, page doing things that are, that that's still safe. That's something I think that needs addressing as well because we're talking almost in a way of the fact that this, this Kaylee Turner being on television was unfair to her and rightfully so. She wasn't ready, and everything you said I completely agree with. But you also need to think as well. Putting her out there isn't just a risk in regards of how she's going to look. It's a risk for her opponents because if something goes wrong, you know, what all sorts of dangerous things could happen. Horrific things could happen. Well, yeah, it's a risk for everyone involved because if you've got someone in the ring who, you know, it doesn't know what they're doing, to be blunt, and like doesn't know the fundamentals. Like you can have someone who doesn't necessarily have the greatest grasp of psychology yet, or mm-hmm. you know people who are learning. But at this stage, again, like she's she's dangerous, and yeah. actually that that comes through in the finish. Do ring any bells? Um, I've got it noted down here. It's a small package, isn't it? But it's after yeah. a fall away slam. The the finish is a small package, but do you recall the Samoan drop? No, I don't. No, I so, I've I got. I know Paige hits what looks to me like a, like a fallaway slam because she's holding her in front, first of all. Mm-hmm. So what t- takes place just prior to that is Tamina picks her up in a Samoan drop and Kaylee doesn't know how to take it and she breaks her face. Okay, right. Yeah. Like I th- she, I- she lands with her face like pressed against Tamina's shoulder and she comes up and immediately I think either her nose is broken or something like even if something isn't broken, it's clear that she's like messed up her face. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Credit to her because after that and Paige tags in, she does like the hot tag. She takes a few bumps, which presumably absolutely sucked. And again, I want to point out like this is not any kind of gripe against the person Kaylee Turner like she's doing her absolute level best she's just not equipped to be out there at this point and uh yeah it would appear that they had something planned and presumably Kaylee was able to convey the message that she was hurt so Paige took it home as soon as she could with the roll-up again showing how how professional and a cut above Paige is here really showed a lot of poise especially considering like her age Mm. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I, I, I just think Paige is fantastic. I always have done. I've been a massive fan of hers for as long as I can remember seeing her on my television. Also, the whole rock chick vibe, that's never going to be a bad thing in my book, you know? So, <laughs> Well, absolutely. It made her stand out, which I think yes. oh, of course. Really, really helped her out. Really helped yeah. her out. It, I'd say it was one of the things that probably got the fans behind her because it's like, it's as simple as like, she doesn't look like everyone else and therefore we're going to like her. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, are you done tearing Kaylee Turner apart? Uh, there was one moment where she pinned Paige's shoulders while by lying across her belly to the point where Paige actually had to get her arms underneath Kaylee Turner right. to actually effectively yeah. do a pin. Because if Paige was feeling mean, she could have just thrown an arm up and made her look a right mug again. <laughs> Talks about how good <laughs> and how nice Paige is in this situation. But yeah. Just one final, like, uh, whoever it was that decided that she was going out on TV, they were either stupid or malicious. Mm, yeah, it's 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 not a good decision, is it? It's not a good look. But you say she's a realtor, right? Uh, apparently so, real estate broker. Good for yeah, her. Same as Rick Steiner. Is it? Did. Yeah. <laughs> and he, Rick Steiner's also on the, uh, I believe he, he was at one point working in real estate, but I know for a fact at the moment he's definitely on the board of directors for a school as well. 
Can you yeah, imagine that? I mean, going in and seeing Rick Steiner, your kid. <laughs> As you say, you've, met, you've mentioned that before. I really hope he goes in with the headgear, maybe with yeah. the leather jacket. Yeah. Oh. oh. Um, <laughs> that basically brings us then to our our main event. I guess we have the last quarterfinal contest in the Gold Rush tournament to crown the NXT, well, the first ever NXT champion. We have Jinder Mahal, and he is facing Bo Dallas. Mm-hmm. Bo Dallas, it's really a unique thing for me because I like Bo Dallas and I liked the whole Bo Leave thing he did. And I'm liking him in this very almost quite generic babyface role here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about him that makes me go, Yeah, I really like this guy, but I can't pinpoint why. No, and, and sometimes that's not really what matters sometimes it's just getting the point across is the important part and yeah i mean he just does seem like a likable man um i definitely feel like he's better suited to being a heel as we'll see later yeah. on um yeah. but as you say in the sort of generic role it being like a generic white meat baby face is really tough to do that and be likable like so many times we've seen it not pan out like the rock is a perfect example of someone who they were just like this is the guy this is the guy and he's super nice and we like him and it just fell flat on its ass because for whatever reason, people just didn't take to it. So, and I'm, I don't know yet because we're not, we haven't got that far, but I imagine that might be what happened to Bo Dallas. Um, that being said, for the moment, he's doing his role to the very best of his ability and fair play to him. He's not doing half bad, especially considering he said he's 22. Yeah. That's insane, isn't it? He's just, he's basically barely been kicked out of his mum's womb at this point. Mm, 22 years of age. What was I doing when I was 22? I was working in a furniture shop, spending all my money getting drunk on a Friday night and throwing up in the street. Like the yeah. drunken embarrassment I was. Yeah, I might have been doing something similar. <laughs> uh, before we get to the match itself, though, we have a little bit of, a bit of tension backstage, don't we? Mm-hmm. With, with Bo Dallas and Derek Bateman. They are talking about a tag match in previous weeks and Bateman is kind of having little jabs, but also saying, yeah, but we're fine. Everything's good. And, you know, they have a little fist bump and so on. But then as he walks away, you get the shot of Bateman at the end of the corridor glaring back. So we can sort of see something's bubbling away there, isn't it? Yeah, they planted that seed. Uh, I believe they were wrestling um, Johnny Curtis and McGillicuddy, actually. That's right, yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah, they did look like they were planting some seeds back then and they're just adding just a little bit of water to it. As you say, it's it's an economy of time because they did the same thing with Dalton and Jason where they just they don't have the same asses. It's maybe one or two minutes, but you get the point across. And the point is that like Derek Bateman is clearly a slimy bastard mm. and <laughs> you know, definitely je- jealous, jealous of uh, Bo Dallas. And the thing is as well, these little these little moments backstage now. I don't know if it's because we've watched now what we're on seven, eight weeks of television mm-hmm. and I'm more familiar with who everybody is or if it's just because they're doing a better job with these little backstage segments. But you look back to Toilet Gate <laughs> in our early episodes and yeah. compare it to this. It's, it's a similar, well, it involves Bateman as well, but that was trying to set up something for the future. But it just felt so rambly and there was no real point to it and it felt a bit nonsensical this is straight to the point you know exactly where we stand with both guys and we know something is coming up 
And I think it, it shows a massive improvement in you know potentially the writing, potentially the delivery of the lines, the guys on screen, or, or just all of the above. Uh, yeah, I think some of column A, some of column B on mm, everything that you said there. I think the fact that we are more familiar with them gives them a bit more leeway. Uh, I do think that what they had to say was a lot tighter. They, they actually had something to say in that yeah. Derek Bateman clearly a bit salty about the fact that he wasn't included in the tournament, clearly a bit salty about the fact that you know he lost the match in, as far as he's concerned because of Bo Dallas. Uh, Bo Dallas, again, is in the, in the unfortunate position of just sort of being that generic white meat baby face. So he's kind of got us say, you know, ask if we've got a problem without being super aggressive about it. Oh, um, are we cool? That sort of thing. Yeah. Are we good? Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, it, it just got the point across very well. The other thing I want to take away from that is Bo Dallas's hands are mm-hmm. fucking massive. <laughs> like they they I know that he's like relate related to Blackjack, the Blackjack Mulligan, and yeah. he had a massive hand. He was one of the first people who did the claw, don't you know? And he was probably Not one of the first <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that, but I tell you what, when uh, Blackjack did it, it made sense because he's got a set of bananas for a hand. Yeah. And I think <laughs> and I think Bo Dallas could have gotten away with it too, because he's got his fist is like the size of his head. It's ridiculous. Why? I don't know if I mentioned on the show before, but I met um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan at a signing in Gloucester. He wrestled a match in Gloucester, and you know, again, much older gentleman than he was when he was working for the WWF, of course. And um, I had a T-shirt on with, effectively, like sort of almost cartoon drawings of eighties wrestlers, and one of them was him. And as I walked over with this thing for him to sign, I was going to have a chat with him. He pointed at my T-shirt and said, "Ha, that's me!" Like this huge roaring belly laugh, and then slapped me on the back in a playful way. Uh, <laughs> I actually felt like my spine was going to come out my neck. It was that much of a. His hand was. It was like being hit with a frying pan. His hand was massive. I've I have met actual Jim Duggan. His hand is the size of a frying pan. Uh, people were just built different. So si. that's yeah. all I can say. I think people were just built different. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, Getting to the match itself then, I've got a bit of a confession to make here. Mm -hmm. I understand what we're trying to do with Jinder Mahal. I understand where we end up going. He he becomes a WWE world champion at one point in his career. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people criticize that decision. I didn't mind that run so much at the time because it was a bit of a surprise and he was getting lots of... um, I wouldn't say, even say go away heat. He was just getting getting booed and getting a negative reaction, which is, of course, what you want in that role. Yeah. However, Jinder here at this stage in his career on the television we're watching week to week, and this match included, I kind of find him a bit boring. He is a little dull. Mm. I think they have people who say that, you know, you have the guy and you have the guy who works with the guy. I yeah. think Jim is the guy who works with the guy. I think that he's somewhat saved because he's got a bit of flavor, a bit of color just due to the gimmick. Yeah. That being said, I think Leo Kruger does the same gimmick better. Yeah. With a bit, yeah, I with agree. A bit more, with a bit more flavor to him. Um, it's clear that they have plans for him though. Um, and they did give him a really good out in here. They made him look fairly dominant throughout the contest. And I think bit of wrestling to begin with again uh shout out to yourself and mags bit of chain wrestling um <laughs> but uh yeah I, the the other thing to transition out of the chain wrestling jinder mahal hit um bow with this elbow it looked 
bloody brilliant. Yeah. Looked like he caught him right on the jaw. I thought he could have knocked him out. I like that as well. When the 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 well, both competitors are, are, are actually wrestling, mm-hmm. and heel the bad guy, whatever, starts getting maybe a little frustrated because he can't out wrestle his opponent. And then rather than carry on trying, he takes a shortcut. To me, that exactly. just makes it per- makes perfect sense. He's the baddie. He's going to get the booze. He's then going to be able to take control of the match for a little while. I just think, it's it, again, it's such a simple thing for me outside looking in. But it just yeah. works every time. Shortcut is the right word, side because that's exactly what it is. It's like he could potentially out-wrestle Bo Dallas. It's not that he can. It's just that it's easier to take the shortcut. Yes. And that's what makes him a heel. Um, but yeah, as you said, and, and also it refers back to the whole idea of escalation because from that point on, we don't see any more wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. It starts getting to be strikes and that. Um, but yeah, from that point on, we get a nice long heat. I think that Jinder does everything in that heat like fine, like all the moves are crisp and they look good. As you say, there's nothing, it doesn't set the world on fire, but it's nice and slow. I think it was somewhat hampered by just a really dead crowd. Yeah. I think this this entire show, like it's been fairly subdued with the exception of maybe they came alive for Paige, but other than that, they were really kind of flat. And so credit to Ginger and Bo for sticking with it because it can be difficult. You can get flustered in that sort of situation, you know, where you feel like the crowd aren't really with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I learned when I was doing it, uh, that silence isn't to be feared. Silence is good. Like people think that crowds always got to be making noise. Silence is good because it means they're paying attention. It's when you hear yeah. people murmuring and chattering amongst themselves. That's when you're maybe losing the crowd, especially right. in this day and age when you can just, you know, get on your smartphone. I've never had like, you know, someone playing YouTube while I was there on the front <laughs> row, but you know, first time for everything. See, that goes along with, with, with me personally as a fan watching a wrestling show. My kids will get involved and shout and stamp their feet and clap and cheer for who they like and, and so on. And and that's never you. They always booed you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would sit there and I would I would watch. I, I'd, I'd, I'd clap um, something that I, I particularly enjoyed or I'd, I'd applaud something that was particularly impressive. But I would just sit there and watch because I want to watch the wrestling. So I suppose I'm not – I'm literally making no noise whilst I'm at – the matches i suppose mm-hmm. and then but then you hear people saying oh no reaction is, is the only reaction you don't want and so on it's interesting you there saying about silence isn't to be feared it's more the murmuring of them almost being distracted and looking away which makes a lot of sense yeah i think it also speaks to the fact that at this time like it's nxt and the nxt is very much the third brand it probably is more sort of a hardcore audience mm. if that makes sense hardcore audience and like folks who've wandered in off the street who don't really know what they're looking at um yeah. <laughs> so you're probably going to have a more subdued reaction. You're not going to get folk like jumping up and down for the character so much. They probably are a more wrestling savvy crowd. And so they're probably going to be a bit more subdued, at least at the moment, like later on when they become like crazy ECW, we love everything crowd. Mm. It's kind of being in on the joke, if that makes sense or in on yeah. like a gag. Um, but for the time being, we're still a little bit like just, just kind of happening. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. We get another moment here as well that's similar to the match we had earlier on in the show. Jinder Mahal ends up going to the outside at one point, and then we go to a break, come back, and he's then in control of the match. Mm-hmm. Which again yeah. is another kind of we we feel like we've missed something there moment. Yeah, I get it's not something I care for. Um, no. I would much rather have something big happen 
prior to the uh, prior to the break. Uh, that being said, I'm pretty sure that they this was still like it was on Hulu and uh, still exclusive to the WWE Network. So the breaks weren't really breaks; they were just pauses. So you yeah. probably don't need to worry about too many people chipping off or changing channel. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Ultimately, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you you particularly want to cover yourself in this match, Joshua. Before um, we get to the finish, there there is. Um, I feel like the last five minutes, it kind of all goes to the wall. Right. Um, so basically, from the moment where, um, from where Bo Dallas, sort of, when it comes time for his comeback, everything doesn't quite hit right. Like there's okay. plenty of there's plenty of fire, but he hits a couple of strikes. I, th- I feel like Jinder maybe goes into the wrong position for where Bo needs him. And that speaks to the fact that I don't think they're very familiar with one another. Like it's right. not Jinder's fault. It's not Bo's fault unless like it, it could have done with a little more explanation explanation. That being said later on, the same happens with Jinder because there are some signature spots that Jinder does. Like, so there's one where he kicks out Bo's knee and then kicks his face. We've seen that one. I really as, enjoyed that previously, didn't I? As a staple or something. But yes. with this one, I don't think that Bo necessarily knew how to take it because he didn't bump to his front. He just sort of doubled over. So Jinder had to like grab his head and like just sort of punt him in the face, which probably wasn't ideal and also didn't look as good. Um, there were just a few moments where it just kind of seemed a bit a bit confused, a bit confuzzled. Where so for example, Bo Dallas at one point hits the big springboard bulldog. And after that, I could see him when he crawled over to make the pin, he was talking to Jinder. I think he was probably going, what are we doing next? And then Jinder laid out like, okay, so we'll do the double kick and then I'll do my knee, which again is sort of like a Triple H jumping yep. knee. And I, and I think Bo thought it was more sort of like a million dollar knee lift or a Jake right. Roberts knee. Yep. And so he was doubled over. So he kind of had a bit of a moment like, no, you need to stand. Oh, fine. I'll just do it. And yeah. it kind of, it didn't look quite as good as it would. And I think that speaks to not being as familiar with one another as, yeah. say, as say with the McGillicuddy uh, Gabriel match, which I imagine they've done a bajillion times all over superstars and main event. They probably know each other like the back of their hand. They know each other's playbooks. And so it makes a match a lot easier. And, you know, that's just the case. Like if you're more familiar with your opponent, you know what they're going to do. Mm. It just makes the <laughs> executing the match so much easier. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think the term I've, I've read somewhere else or I've heard somebody else use is a bit clunky. Yeah. Yeah, I should say so. It was a bit, it was a bit clunky, and again, in my opinion, it's just a theory. But I think that's why. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, ultimately, uh, the the decision is kind of predictable to me. That the outcome is kind of predictable to me, even though they seem to be very uh, looking at looking at Bo Dallas in a very favourable light. The commentators as well, but I suppose they're trying to get get this kid over in light of his defeat anyway. And Jinder goes through via submission with his camel clutch move. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the end of the show, isn't it? Pretty well. The one note I'd make on that is that they missed the tap. The camera mm. didn't pick up on the tap. It was the wrong side. And for the WWE, they should be doing better. They there's really a should few be of better. that, isn't there, this week? There's yeah. a few times. Yeah. There's a few. It makes me think that maybe, uh, maybe the wrestlers aren't the only people in development, or maybe it's the crew as well. Okay, that would make sense. It's again just a theory. It's not something I can confirm, but thinking on it, it it makes sense. 
Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. Okay. I suppose we better rate the show as we always do with our soft and our glorious, our plus points and our negatives, and then decide whether it gets a hit, miss, or middling. Do you want to go first or second this week, my friend? Uh, I will go first. That's all right, Sai. Yeah, you crack on. Super. Well, I'll start with my glorious, which should be obvious to anyone paying attention. It was McGillicuddy and Gabriel. As I said, I thought the match was tremendous. I think it is a blueprint for how a wrestling match should go. There are so many things that I had in my notes that I haven't said that, again, we'd still be here forever and ever and always if I (laughs) went with the whole thing. (laughs) But it was just great. Anyone who's watching it, there's so many, as I say, so many things. So there's, um, Oh, it's just so many things. I can't I can't even start. But it was just brilliant. Um, my soft is the individual that allowed Kaylee Turner to be on television. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh mine is my glorious, first of all, is exactly the same. It's the opener. I thought it was absolutely bloody brilliant. It's one of the best matches we've seen so far on our look back. Really, really good. Uh my soft is the production issues the sound issues and so on because i mean I, I don't know if everyone listening is aware i don't even know if you're aware joshua but mm-hmm. i'm going a little bit deaf mm-hmm. um i've had these issues for a little while now and they seem to be getting a bit worse in my life and i've had hospital checkups and i've got more upcoming and so on it's a bit of a concern especially considering i do this a great deal and i need to be able to hear mm-hmm. what people are saying to me but yeah i'm going a little bit deaf because of that, I find myself sitting on my bed, frantically searching for my remote control to play with the volume because I didn't realize it was something wrong with the, the 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 actual NXT show. I thought it was my ears going again. So mm-hmm. yeah, my my issue, my soft is the the production and and the sound issues really. A very personal one, but valid nonetheless. Sir. Yes, <laughs> very frustrated when I couldn't find the remote. To put it that way, hit miss or middle in, bud. Um. I'm going to have to think about this. I think it was probably a middle and simply because two matches were good and two were bad in my book. I always try and look at it as uh, from a standpoint of how much of it will I go back and watch again. I would definitely watch the opener again. I really enjoyed that rest of the show. I I plan on, sorry, I plan on building a seminar around that match. So I'll watch it again. (laughs) I get maybe a bonus episode upcoming. We'll have to see, but yeah, the, uh, the, the opener 100% watch that again. The rest of the show, I don't think I ever need to see this again in my life. So that kind of teeters on a seesaw balances itself out. So yeah, a middle for me as well, bud. Mm -hmm. Very good. There we go. Okay, then. So we're fast approaching the crowning of our first ever NXT champion. Getting excited about that. Hopefully we'll have some great matches in what's left of this tournament as we build towards it. Uh, Joshua, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Uh, Joshua Goodwin PW Joshua Goodwin on Facebook excellent stuff make sure you go <laughs> and f- chuck Joshua a follow uh, and also follow the network at SJP World Media where this show comes out as well as loads of other content as well you have chain wrestling you have I mean, if you're enjoying this this kind of look back format we have Nitro Nights doing something very similar with WCW there's people covering modern day WWE there's people doing lots of look back shows there's uh, there's a horror movie show starting up next week on the network coming in new well by the time this airs it'll already been out um, there's so much there a murder mind podcast coming soon as well which is going to be quite unique i've been basically hammered into submission by a friend of ours into doing that so yeah it's going to be good there's so many brilliant content creators so many brilliant hosts and so on at sjp world media on facebook and twitter and 
pretty much every podcast player you can imagine. There's so many of them, I can't share the links on Twitter because there's not enough characters. Uh, <laughs> but most importantly, you can follow this show itself on Twitter at NXT underscore Rise and Fall. That's at NXT underscore Rise and Fall. And the message, as always, respect the FNDDT. Got to respect the F and DDT. We didn't see a DDT today, so I couldn't put it over, but respect the F and DDT. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, my friend. Joshua, brilliant stuff. Really enjoyed it again. Really enjoyed your insights. Thank you so much for spending time with me talking about this. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks, mate. Uh, just before we go, just want to give a quick shout out to you, sir. You know, thanks for being oh. my co-host. Also want to uh, give a quick shout out to the individual that edits this, which would be Cy Powell. Uh, just want to give a, another quick shout out to the individual that does the music for us, which would also be Cy Powell. Uh, the graphics, I think that can be attributed to Cy Powell. And uh, any research that's required is done by uh, Mr. Cy Powell. So, sir, thank you. I am but a small part of this. You are the heart and soul of SJP, World Media, and everything else that we do. All this lovely content that these individuals feast upon, we all have you to thank. So, sir, I bow to thee. Well, you're very kind. You've, I've been very lucky to uh, find brilliant co-hosts and brilliant content creators to work with and have fantastic topics to discuss that keep me interested. So I feel very fortunate and lucky myself, but you're too kind. You really are. Thank you very much. But yes, on that note, uh, at NXT underscore rise and fall at SJP world media at Joshua Goodwin, PW, chuck us all a follow and uh, we will speak to you all next week. Thank you for listening. Crash, your beat to the ground.